hello, hello, hello. Yeah, right, that was entirely awkward. Anyway, so <laughs> I'm going to be doing a new podcast today. And I spent days, and I mean days, everyone, um, of basically, yeah, of researching about this. And I don't think this has ever actually been spoken about enough. And so, I mean, you know, I feel like we should talk about it. Considering that it's not really known, I've never actually heard someone talk about it. I have seen a documentary on it. And when I watched that documentary, I was actually quite shocked because even I, and I have watched so many documentaries, I've I've literally listened to loads of podcasts, I've watched serial killer films, etc. And not once has this case or even event came up. So today we will be, are you ready? Are you ready guys? We will be talking about the Rosewood Massacre, okay? Now let me just say this is a racially motivated massacre of black people. The destruction of a mainly black town that took place during basically the early um, month of 1923. This was in Florida by the way, I'm not going to be saying too much just yet um, but we will be talking about that and I just also want to note that whenever I say segments on um, the on the platform that I'm using it's because I record different parts to set myself a break I don't exactly do it all in one so it kind of helps where I'm pinpoint whatever I want whereas on Spotify it kind of just plays it all at once so that's why on other platforms where you can actually see my um, account um, it's easier because I think on other platforms you can actually see different segments so whenever I basically say oh yeah I'll see you in the next segment it's actually because I'm basically saying here you know go to the next part this is what we'll be talking about you can find this podcast um just name it the morgue um basically on anchor breaker google podcasts pocket casts radio public and obviously spotify spotify is a main um platform that everyone uses it on because not really many people go on the other ones i think google podcasts maybe but um right now um, I can definitely tell it's just um, Spotify because it does notify me whenever, you know, I get quite a lot of views on something, like a main podcast. So, yeah, um, back to the Rosewood Massacre. If you hear my voice go out during any of this, it's because I will be talking a lot and my throat goes dry immediately. Okay, so, <clears throat> on to the next segment. We will be talking about the background um there is a lot to this guys and um it kind of goes on to like five different segments i'm not gonna lie it will take ages and yeah so there will be um content contents of background the events that actually happened um justice the silence and how rosewood was remembered at the end of each event and can I just say 
I was kind of shocked at the outcome of Rosewood. I think that it was ridiculous with the way that the good go- oh sorry the government handled it. I kind of spoke gibberish there. I'm very sorry about that, guys. So yeah, um, <clears throat> you're gonna hear me speaking a lot of gibberish, but a lot of it is gonna be facts. Okay, so yeah, let's get on to it. And we're back. Right, so like I said, this is the next segment for me. I basically do it in um, different segments where I cut off at the end. I basically say, oh, right, next segment we're going to be talking about, I don't know, like this segment is going to be about the background. Next segment is probably going to be about maybe the events. Um, I will probably be moving on according to my notes. So we're going to get into it, okay? Now, the settlement of Rosewood. So it were, it basically began as a settlement in 1847 so nine miles east of um like sadaki i don't know how to say that by the way but it's basically near the gulf of mexico now most of the local economy economy drew on the timber industry which you know industrial revolution part of it all of course um some people some countries found it later than a lot of others um the name rosewood actually refers to the um reddish color of the cedar wood and two pencil mills were found nearby um cedar uh, key local residents also worked in several turpentine mills and a sawmill three miles away from the sumner in addition to farming of citrus and cotton okay so the hamlet grew enough to warrant the construction of a post office and train depot on the Florida Railroad in 1870, but it was never incorporated as a like a town. So initially, this is where it comes into the fact that Rosewood had black and white settlers. So most of the cedar trees in the area had been cut by 19, sorry, 1890, and the pencil mills were closed and many white residents moved to Sumner. Um, By 1900, the population of Rosewood had become predominantly black. So the the village of Sumner was predominantly white and the relations between the two communities were relatively amicable. So two black families in Rosewood named Goins and Carrier were the most powerful. Um, The Goins family bought basically the turpentine industry to the area and in the years preceding well preceding the attacks were the second largest landowners in the levy country sorry county and to avoid lawsuits from white competitors the Goins brothers moved to Gainesville and the population of Rosewood decreased slightly because of this so the carriers were also like quite a large family primarily working as you know like logging in well logging in the region anyway and by the 1920s almost everyone in the close-knit community were you know, was distantly related to each other and the population of rosewood peaked in 1915 at around 355 people okay so as you can imagine 355 black people okay now florida had effectively disenfranchised black voters since the start of the 20th century by the high requirements of voter registration 
but Sumner and Rosewood were part of a single voting precinct counted by the US Census. And in 1920, the combined population of both towns was 638. So there was 344 black and 294 white. So obviously there was more black people than white around that time between the both of them. So as was common in the late 19th century, South Florida had imposed legal racial segregation under Jim Crow laws um, requiring str- like separate black and white public facilities and transportation. So black and white residents created their own community centres. So by 1920, the residents of Rosewood were like mostly self-sufficient. They had three churches, a school, a large um, Masonic hall, a turpentine... Oh, I can't even say that. Like a turpentine mill a sugarcane mill, a baseball team named the Rosewood Stars, and two general stores, one of which was white-owned. The village had about a dozen two-storey wooden plank homes, other, like, small two-houses, and other small unpopular... Oh, wow, I cannot speak. Unoccupied plank farm and storage um, structures. Some families actually owned pianos, organs and other symbols of middle class prosperity. Now survivors in Rosewood remember it as a happy place and in 1995 survivor Robbie Morton recalled at the age of 79 that she was a child there and that Rosewood was a town where everyone's house was painted. There were roses everywhere you walked. Lovely. That was like a, um, a quote by the way. So, as you can tell already, there is kind of some um, segregation there. And between Sumner and Rosewood, obviously, there's definitely going to be some kind of conflict between them. And so, anything could probably easy, um, easily set off the trigger, which it did. I'm not going to lie about that. Um, this is kind of taking me back to um, First Street, by the way. Um, isn't it shady side and like summer i don't know i can't remember but some of you will know so i want to talk about the racial tensions in florida okay now racial violence at the time was common throughout like the nation and it manifested as it like individual i'm saying like a lot i'm very sorry as individual incidents of extra legal actions or basically attacks on entire communities um, lynchings were well reached a peak around the start of the 20th century as the southern states were disenfranchising black voters and imposing white supremacy so white supremacists um, used it as a means to socially control people throughout the south and in 1866 florida as did many southern states passed laws called black codes disenfranchising black citizens and throughout these were well quickly overturned and black citizens enjoyed a brief period of improved social standing and by the late 18 well 19th sorry century black political influence was virtually nil so the white democrat dominated legislator passed black citizens enjoy a brief period of improved social standing and by the late 19th century black political influence oh sorry i'm reading the wrong notes there um 
passed a pot so the white democrat dominated legis um legislature whatever jeez i cannot write notes for anything i'm pretty sure i've made several mistakes in here already so passed a poll tax in like 1885 which was largely served to be disenfranchised all poor voters losing political power black voters suffered a deterioration of their legal and political rights in the years following so without the right to vote they were excluded as jurors and could not run for office and that like you know effectively excluding them from basically all political processes so the united states as a whole was experiencing rapid social changes an influx of european immigrants industrialization and the growth of cities the political experimentation in the north in the south black americans grew recently dissatisfied with their lack of econ economic opportunity and status or status however people want to say it as second class citizens so yeah there's already a lot of um racial tensions here of course um we can definitely go on about the racial um tensions though so elected officials in florida represented the voting white majority governor napoleon bonaparte broward <laughs> in he was around as a governor f well from 1905 to 1909 and they suggested finding a location out of state for black people to live separately okay so here we know what that's going to be rosewood okay now tens of thousands of people moved to the north during af and after world war one in the great um, migration unsettling neighbor mar labor markets and introducing more rapid city more changes in cities they were recruited by many expanding northern industries such as the pennsylvania railroad the steel industry and meat packing florida governors park trammell who was a governor from 1913 to 1917 and the non and sydney cats cats sorry 1917 to 1921 um generally ignored the emigration of blacks to the north and its causes while trammell was state attorney general none of the 29 lynchings committed during his term were prosecuted nor were any of the 21 that occurred while he was governor so cats ran on a platform of white supremacy and anti-catholic sentiment and so he openly criticized the national association for the advancement of colored people so the naacp naacp sorry when they compl complained he did nothing to investigate two lynchings in florida Katz changed his message when the turpentine and lumber industries claimed white that labor was scarce. He began to plead with black workers to stay in the state. By 1940, 40,000 turpentine and lumber industries claimed labor, oh, sorry, black people had left Florida to find employment, but also to like escape the oppression of segregation underfunded and education and facilities and violence and different di God, i can speak guys um disenfranchisement so as a person who believes fully in black lives matter you know the fact that 
black people struggle this much because of white supremacists it's just to me it's disgusting i've never seen the point in judging people by this their skin when we literally we like apparently we came from them in a way like not apparently but i'm pretty sure we did anyway and it just depends what you believe in um your religion wise i just believe that we came if we truly did come from jesus he was um um wasn't it he he was like mixed or was he black i'm not entirely sure okay but um i'm sorry if i'm wrong um but yeah we basically come from all that and you know as people say it's like you don't um it it basically just depends on someone's beliefs and how the earth basically started not the earth but a, a general population for that matter so so yeah that's basically about that part now when the u.s troop training began for world war one many white southerners were alarmed at the thought of arming black um soldiers so a confrontation regarding the rights of black soldiers culminated in the houston riot of 1917 german propaganda encouraged black soldiers to turn against their real enemies american whites of course because american whites were you know acting as white supremacy so rumors reached the u.s that french women had been sexually active with black american soldiers which university of florida historian david colburn argues struck at the heart of southern fears about power and misandry miscegenation colburn connects growing concerns of sexual intimacy between the races to what occurred in rosewood southern culture had been practically constructed around a set of um mores and values which places white women at, at its center and it's and which the purity of their conduct and their manners represented the refinement of that culture so an attack on a woman not only represented a violation of the south's foremost taboo it also threatened to dismantle the very nature of southern society this is this is pretty much important when it comes to the rosewood massacre by the way because an attack on the woman was seen as something you do not do if a black person was to attack a white woman or even a, wh a white man for that matter they would seriously be punished for it whereas if it was the other way around we know for a fact that around that time there was not going to be any justice at all so the trang um the transgression of sexual taboos subsequently combined with the arming of black citizens to raise fear among whites of impending race war in the south okay so carrying on the influx of black people into urban centers centers in the northeast and midwest increased racial tensions in those cities between 1917 and 1923 racial disturbances erupted in numerous cities throughout the u.s motivated by economic competition between racial groups for industrial jobs one of the first and most violent instances was a riot in east st louis 
sparked in 1917. In the red summer of 1919, racially motivated mob violence erupted in 23 cities, including Chicago, Omaha and Washington, D.C., caused by competition for jobs and housing by returning World War I veterans of both races and arrival of waves of new European immigrants. Further unrest occurred in Tulsa in 1921 when whites attacked the black Greenwood community. David Colburn distinguishes... I'm very sorry for my lack of words right now. I know I can't speak. Um, two types of violence against black people up to 1923. So northern, northern violence was generally spontaneous mob action against entire communities. And southern violence, on the other hand, took the form of individual ev- incidents of lynchings and other extra um, judicial actions. The Rosemont Massacre, according to Colburn, resembled violence more commonly perpetrated in the north in those years so i am going to say that the rosewood massacre is like i said before it is quite shocking and it's just yeah there's nothing more to say about that so in the next segment i'm going to be moving on to the events in rosewood i can definitely tell this is going to be quite a long um episode episode podcast episode whatever you want to call it so i will be talking more in the next segment about the events in rosewood which actually includes fanny taylor's story um because it all comes from her in a way not just all but most of it um as in her telling of it so i'll see you in the next segment okay so just let you know this is the next segment okay and we're going to talk about Fanny Taylor's story, a.k.a. Francis... Is it Francis? Francis? I think it is. Francis Taylor. So, she was 22 years old, okay? And, well, in 1923, she was. And married to James, a 30-year-old millwright employed by Cumner and Sons in Sumner, okay? They lived there with their two young children, and James's job required him to leave each day during the darkness of early morning. So, neighbours remember Frances Taylor as very peculiar. She was meticulously clean, scrubbing her cedar floors with bleach so that they literally shone shone white. Other women attested that Taylor was aloof, so no one really knew her very well. On January 1st, 1923, Taylor's neighbour reported that she heard a scream whilst it was dark, grabbed her revolver and ran next door to find Francis bruised and beaten with scuff marks across the white floor, which is odd, um, considering that she always has it clean. Taylor was screaming that someone needed to get her baby. She said a black man was in her house. He had come through the door and assaulted her. The neighbour found the baby, but no one else. Taylor's initial report stated her assailant beat her with beat her about the face but did not rape her so so rumors then circulated widely believed by whites in Sumner that she was both raped and robbed the charge of rape of a white woman by a black man was inflammatory in the south the day before the clan had held a parade and a rally over a hundred hooded calsmen 50 miles away in in Gainesville under a burning cross and a banner reading first and always protect womanhood so it was obviously big around that time you know to 
protect womanhood and basically white it was mainly white people like you can't say it wasn't um but yeah so the neighbor also reported the absence of that day of taylor's laundress sarah carrier whom the white woman in sumner called aunt sarah sarah philomena grinds carrier's daughter granddaughter sorry told a different story about Frances Taylor many years later. She joined her grandmother Carrier at Taylor's home as usual that morning. They watched a white man leave by the back door later in the mor- in the morning before noon. She said Taylor did emerge from her home, showing evidence of having been beaten, but it was well after morning. Carrier's grandson and Philo- Philomena's brother, Philomena's brother, I think that's how you say her name, um, Arnett Goins sometimes went with them. He had actually seen the white man before. Carrie had told the others in the black community what she had seen that day and the black community of Rosewood believed that Frances Taylor had a white lover. They got into a fight that day and he beat her. When the man left Taylor's house, he went to Rosewood. So quickly, Levy County Sheriff Robert Elias Walker raised a pose and started an investigation. When they learned that Jesse Hunter, a black prisoner, had escaped from a chain gang, they began to search to question him about Taylor's attack. And men from Cedar Key, Otter Creek, Sheafland and Bronson to help with the search. And adding, to, adding confusion to the events recounted later, um, as many as 400 white men began to gather. Sheriff Walker deputised some of them, but was unable to initiate initiate all of them. Walker asked for dogs from a nearby convict camp, but one dog may have been used by a group of men acting without Walker's authority. Dogs led a group of about 100 to 150 men to the home of Aaron, Aaron Carrier, Sarah's nephew. Aaron was taken outside where his mother begged the men not to kill him. He was then tied to a car and dragged, literally, to Sumner, okay? That is quite brutal. Sheriff Walker put Carrier in protective custody at the county seat in Bronson to remove him from the men in the pose, many of whom were drinking and acting on their own authority. Worried that the group would quickly grow further out of control, Walker also urged black employees to stay at the turpentine mills for their own safety. So clearly Walker was trying to help them a little bit, but... It was just too much. Um, a group of white vigilantes who had became uh, become a mob by this time seized Sam Carter, a local blacksmith and teamster who worked in the turpentine still. They tortured Carter into, di- into admitting that he had hidden the escape chain gang prisoner. Carter led the group the group to the spot in the woods where he had taken Hunter, but the dogs were unable to pick up a scent. To the surprise of many witnesses, someone fatally shot Carter in the face. They hung the group hung Carter's mutilated body from a tree as a symbol to other black men in the area. Some in the mob took souvenirs of his clothes. Survivors suggest that Taylor's lover fled to Rosewood because he knew he was in trouble and had gone to the home of Aaron Carrier, a fellow veteran and mason. Carrier and Carter, another mason, covered the fugitive in the back of a wagon. 
Carter took him to a nearby river, let him out of the wagon. They returned home to be met by the mob, who was led by dogs following the fugitive's scent. After lynching Sam Carter, the mob met Sylvester Carrier, um, Aaron's, co Aaron's cousin, sorry, and Sarah's son <clears throat> on a road and told him to get out of town. Carrier refused when the mob moved on. He suggested gathering as many people as possible for protection. So this is where it kind of escalates. Um, <clears throat> now, despite the efforts of Sheriff Walker and Supervisor Mill Supervisor W.H. Pillsbury, well, when they tried to give order more like... When they tried to disperse the mobs, white men continued to gather. On the evening of January 4th, a mob of armed white men went to Rosewood and surrounded the house of Sarah Carrier. It was filled with approximately 15 to 25 people seeking refuge, including many children hiding upstairs under mattresses. Some of the children were in the house because they were visiting their grandmother for Christmas. They were protected by Sylvester Carrier and possibly two other men but Carrier may have been the only one armed. He had a reputation of being proud and independent. In Rosemord, he was a formidable character, a crack shot, expert hunter, a music teacher, who was simply called Man. Many white people considered him arrogant and disrespectful, so clearly they have different views of him, and, you know, this is just how it was. Sylvester Carrier was reported in the New York Times saying that the attack on Fr Francis Taylor was an example of what, I'm very sorry for saying this, um, I actually I'm not going to say it, what the N word could do without inter interference. Whether or not he said this is debated, but a group of 20 to 30 white men inflamed by the report statement went to the Carrier house. They believed that the black community in Rosewood was hiding escaped prisoner Jesse Hunter. Reports conflict about who was actually shot first, but after two members of the mob approached the house, someone opened fire. Sarah Carrier was shot in the head. Her nine-year-old niece at the house, Minnie Lee Lane, Lane, Lange, Lang, Lang, I don't even know how to say her name and I feel very bad about that. Langley had witnessed Arian Carrier taken from his house three days earlier when <clears throat> when Minnie Lee heard someone had been shot. She went down the stairs to find her grandmother, Emma, Emma Carrier. Sylvester placed Minnie Lee in a firewood closet in front of him as he watched the front door using the closet for cover. Quote, he got behind me in the wood and put the gun on my shoulder and them crackers were still shooting and going on he put his gun on my shoulder told me to lean this way and then polly wilkerson he kicked the door down when he kicked the door down cuss still let him have it quote end quote so several shots were exchanged the house was riddled with buzz bullets but the whites did not overtake it the standoff lasted long into the morning when Sarah and Sylvester were found dead inside the house. Several others were actually wounded, including a child who had been shot in the eye. Two white men, C.P. Polly Wilkerson and Harry, Henry Andrews, were killed. 
Wilkerson had kicked in the front door and Andrews was behind him. At least four white men were wounded, one possibly fatally. The remaining children in the carrier house were spirited out the back door into the woods and crossed dirt roads one at a time, then hid under a bush until they all had gathered away from Rosewood. Um, In the documentary, it actually said that they also hid in the swamp, which, you know, they hid in a swamp until they had all gathered away from Rosewood, which is really sad if you ask me. Um, So, yeah raising rosewood and this is where it kind of gets into it so news of the armed standoff at the carrier house had attracted white men from all over the state to take part reports were carried in the saint petersburg independent the florida times union the miami herald and the miami metro metropolis inversions are competing facts and overstatement the miami metropolis listed 20 black people and four white people dead and characterized the event as a race war national newspapers also put the incident on the front page the washington post and the saint louis dispatched described a band of heavily armed n-word and a n-word desperado as being involved um, most of the information came from the discreet messages from Sheriff Walker, mob rumours and other in- embellishments to part-time reporters who wired their stories in the Associated Press. Details about the armed standoff were particularly explosive. According to the historian Thomas Dye, the idea that blacks in Rosewood had taken up arms against the right race was unthinkable in the Deep South. Black newspapers covered the events from a different angle, though. So the Afro-American Ballotmore highlighted the acts of African-American heroism against the onslaught of savages. Another newspaper reported that two N-word women were attacked and raped by, between Rosewood and Sumner. The sexual lust... I'm very sorry for saying that weirdly. Um, the sexual lust of the brutal white mobists satisfied the women and the women were strangled so the white mob burned black churches in rosewood philomena goyne's cousin her cousin uh, lee ruth davies heard the bells tolling in the church as the men were inside setting it on fire the mob also destroyed the white church in rosewood many black residents fled for safety into the nearby swamps some clothed only in their pajamas so this is what i was mentioning about the swamps um wilson hall was nine years old at the time he later recounted his mother waking him to escape into the swamps early in the morning when it was still dark the lights from approaching cars of white men could be seen from miles the whole family walked 15 miles through the swampland to the town of gulf hammock the survivors recall it was an uncharacteristically cold for florida and people suffered when they spent several nights raised in wooded areas called hammocks to evade the mob some took refuge with sympathetic white families sam carter's 69 year old widow hid for two days in the swamps then driven by a sympathetic white male carrier under bags of mail to join her family in chiefland white men began um, surrounding houses pouring kerosene 
on and lighting them than shooting at those who emerged lexi gordon a light-skinned fifty-year-old woman who was ill with typhoid fever had sent her children into the woods she was killed by a gunshot blast to the face when she fled from hiding underneath her home which had been sent set on fire by the mob Frances Taylor's brother-in-law claimed to be her killer. On January 5th, more whites converged on the area, forming a mob between 200 and 300 people. Some from out came from out of state. Mingo Williams, who was 20 miles away near Bronson, was collecting turpentine sap by the side of the road when a car full of whites stopped and asked his name. As the custom as was custom among many residents in levy county both black and white williams used a name that was more prominent than his given name when he when his when he gave his name of lord god they shot him dead so sheriff walker pleaded with news reporters covering the violence to send a message to the altua county sheriff pg Ram, Ram, ramsey to send assistance Carloads of men came from Gainesville to assist Walker. Many of them had probably participated in the Klan rally earlier in the week. W. H. Pillsbury tried to desperately keep black workers in the Sumner Mill and worked with his assistant, a man named Johnson, to dissuade the white workers from joining others using extra-legal violence. Armed guards sent by Sheriff Walker turned away black people who emerged from the swamps and tried to go home. W. H. Pillsbury's wife secretly helped smuggle people out in the area. Smuggle, sorry. So she helped smuggle people out the area. Several white men declined to join the mobs, including the town barber who also refused to lend his gun to anyone and said he did not want his hands wet with blood. So, Governor Carrie Hardy was on standby, ready to order National Guard troops in to neutralise the situation. Despite his message to the Sheriff of Altu County, Walker informed Hardy by telegram that he did not fear further disorder and urged the Governor to not intervene. The Governor's office monitored the situation in part because of intense Northern interest, but Hardy would not activate the National Guard without Walker's request. Walker insisted he could handle the situation. Well, look how that turned out. Records show that Governor Hardy took Sheriff Walker's word and went on a hunting trip. James Carrier, <clears throat> who was Sylvester's brother and Sarah's son, had previously suffered, suffered a stroke and was partially paralysed. He left the swamps and returned to Rosewood. He has W.H. Pillsbury, the white turpentine mill supervisor for protection so he was locked in the house but the mob found carrier carrier sorry and tortured him to find out if he had aided jesse hunter the escaped convict after they made carrier dig his own grave they fatally shot him okay now the evacuation on january 6th white train conductors john and william bryce managed to um, managed the eviction of some black residents to Gainesville. The brothers were independently wealthy, Sadaki residents who had an affinity for trains. They knew the people in Rosewood had traded with them regularly. As they passed the area, 
Um, the Brises slowed their train and blew the horn, picking up women and children. Fearing reprisals from mobs, they refused to pick up any black men. Any survivors boarded the train and having been hidden by a white general store owner, John Wright and his wife, Mary Jo. Over the next several days, the other Rosewood residents fled to Wright's house, facilitated by Sheriff Walker, who asked Wright to transport any any as many residents out of town as possible lee ruth davies his her sister and two brothers were hidden by the rights while their father hid in the woods on the morning of polly wilkerson's funeral the rights left the children alone to attend davies and his siblings crept out of the house to hide with relatives in the nearby town of will lie but they were turned back to for being too dangerous. The children spent the day in the woods, but decided to return to the White House. After spotting men with guns on their way back, they crept into the Whites, with, who were frantic with fear. Davies later described the experience, quote, I was lying that deep in, in water. That is where we sat all day long. We got onto our bellies and crawled. We tried to keep people from seeing us through the bushes. bushes. We were trying to get back to Mr White's house. After we all got to his house, Mr and Mrs White were all the way out in the bushes, hollering and calling us, and when we answered, they were so glad. End quote. Several other white residents of Sumner hid black residents of Rosewood and smuggled them out of town probably out of sympathy in that way gainesville black community community took in many of rosewood's evacuees waiting for them at the train station and greeting survivors that they disembarked covered in sheets on sunday january 7th a mob of 100 to 150 whites returned to burn the remaining dozen or so structures of rosewood so many people as a as a response were alarmed by the violence and the state leaders feared that negative effects on the state's tourist industry was going to happen. Governor Hardy appointed a special grand jury and special prosecuting attorney to investigate the outbreak in Rosewood and other incidents in Levy County. In February 1928, 23, sorry, the all-white grand jury convened in Bronson over several days they heard 25 witnesses eight of whom were black but found insufficient evidence to prosecute any perpetrators the judge presiding over the case deplored the actions of the mob by the end of the week Rosewood no longer made the front pages of major white, major white newspapers the Chicago Defender the most influential black newspaper in the US reported that 19 people in Rosewood's Face war had died, race war, sorry, had died, and a soldier named Ted Cole appeared to fight the lynch mobs, then disappeared. No confirmation of his existence after this report exists. A few editorials appeared in the Florida newspaper summarising the event. The Gainesville Daily Sun justified the actions of whites involving involved writing quote let it be understood now and forever that he whether white or black who brutally assaults an innocent and helpless woman shall die the death of a dog end quote the tampa tribune in a rare comment on the excesses of whites in the area called it a foul lasting blot on the 
on the people of Levy County. That was a quote, by the way. Well, so Northern publications were were more willing to break to note the breakdown of law, but many attributed it to the backward mindset in the South. The New York Call, a socialist newspaper, remarked how astonishingly little cultural progress had been has been made in some parts of the world, while the Nashville banner compared the events in Rosewood to recent riot race riots in northern cities, but characterised the entire events as deplorable. A three-day conference at, in Atlanta, organised by the Southern Methodist, Methodist Church, released a statement that similarly condemned the chaotic week in Rosewood. It included no family or and no race races rises higher than womanhood womanhood sorry hence the intelligence of women must be cultivated and pure and the purity and dignity of womanhood must be protected by the maintenance of a single standard of morals for both races so officially the recorded death toll for the first week of january 1923 was eight people six black and two white historians disagree with about this number some survivors stories claim there may have been up to sorry 27 black residents killed and assert that newspapers did not report the total number of white deaths minnie lee who was the carrier house siege recalls that she stepped over many white bodies on the porch when she left the house. Several eyewitnesses claim to have seen a masquerade filled with black people. One remembers a plough brought from the Sadar Key that covered 26 bodies. However, by the time authorities investigated these claims, most of the witnesses were dead or too elderly and infirm to lead them to a site to confirm these stories. Aaron Aaron Carrier, who was held in jail for several months in nearly 1923, had died in 1965. James Carrier's widow, Emma, was shot in the hand and the wrist and reached Gainesville by train. She never recovered and died in 1924. Sarah Carrier's husband, Haywood, did not see the events in Rosewood. He was on a hunting trip and discovered when he returned that his wife, brother James, and son, Sylvester, had all been killed and his house had been destroyed by a white mob. Following the shock of learning what had happened in Rosewood, Haywood rarely spoke to anyone but himself. He sometimes wandered away from his family unclothed his grandson arnett goins thought that he'd been unhinged by grief haywood carrier died a year after the massacre jesse hunter the escaped convict was never found many survivors fled in different directions to other cities and a few changed their names from fear that whites would track them down eventually but none were ever returned to live in rosewood i understand why so Frances, aka Fanny Taylor, and her husband moved to another mill town. She was very nervous in her later years until she succumbed to cancer. John Wright's house was the only structure left standing in Rosewood. He lived in it. He lived in it and acted as an emissary between the county and the survivors. After they left the town, almost all of their land was sold for taxes. Mary Jo Wright died in 1931. John developed a problem with alcohol. He was ostracised 
and taunted for assisting the survivors and rumoured to keep a gun in every room of his house. He died after drinking too much one night in Sadar Key and was buried in an unmarked grave in Sumner. So in Sawmill, in, Sawmill, in Sumner, burned down... I think I said that wrong. So the saw the sawmill in Sumner burned down in 1925 and the owner's house and the owners moved to the operation of La Coochie in Pasco County so some survivors as well as participants in the mob action went to La Coochie I feel like I'm saying that wrong and it's just a bit weird but we'll work with it to work in the mill there WH Pillsbury um was among them and he had taunted by, was taunted, sorry, by former Sumner residents. He no longer, well, no longer having any supervisory authority. Authority. Pillsbury was retired early by the company. He moved to Jacksonville and died in 1926. So, all I can say there is, this is what it kind of came to. And seeking justice was a whole different situation because it was hard for the victims to even seek justice. And, you know, what I can say was that um, there was... It it was hard to even get um, justice. And so... Um, so like yeah basically black and hispanic legislators in florida took on on the rosewood compensation bill as a cause and refused to support governor lawton child child's i don't know how to say their name um as like health care plan um until he put pressure on the house democrats to vote for the bill chills was off i feel like i'm saying that wrong but yeah let's go with that again as he supported the compensation bill from its early days and the legislative caucuses had previously promised their support for his health care plan, the legislature passed the bill and the governor signed the Rose Rudd Compensation Bill, a $2.1 million package to compensate survivors and their descendants. Seven survivors and their family members were present at the signing to hear Charles say, because of the strength and commitment of these survivors and their families, the long silence has been, has finally been broken and the shadows have been lifted. Instead of being forgotten because of their testimony, the Rosewood story is known across our state and across our nation. The legislation assures that the tragedy of Rosewood will never be forgotten by the generations to come. Now, originally the compensation total offered to the survivors was seven million dollars okay now this aroused controversy the legislature eventually settled on 1.5 million so this would enable payment of one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to each person who could prove he or she lived in rosewood during 1923 and provide a five hundred thousand dollar pool for people who could apply for for funds after demonstrating that they had an ancestor who owned property in rosewood during the time obviously because a lot of the mobs basically burned down the like the homes um property was a big deal for those who owned one and they could prove it 
So the four survivors testified automatically qualified. The four others had to apply. More than 400 applications were received around the world. Robbie Morton came from forward as a survivor during this period. She was only one the only one added to the list who could prove that she lived in Rosewood 19, in 1923, totaling around nine survivors who were compensated. Um, gaining compensation, compensation changed some families who whose families began to fight amongst themselves. Some descendants refused it, whilst others went into hiding in order to avoid the press of friends and re- relatives who asked them for hi- handouts. Some descendants, after dividing the funds among their siblings, received not much more than $100 each. Later, the Florida Department of Education set up the Rosewood Family Scholarship Fund for Rosewood descendants and ethnic minorities. Can I just say how unfair that is? Like, $100 isn't nearly enough compensation for any of it, really. They should have got more. They really should have got more. And as of right now, um, Rosewood is remembered as like a landmark. Um, It does have some form of a legacy, but altogether, um, I don't think this case is known enough, um, especially around. I've never heard it once. And it's quite surprising because I hear about most things and, you know, in media, I can see that, you know, it has been said, but I don't think people talk about it enough because it's such a an historical type thing. So there is a Rosemud historical marker and yeah, that is pretty much that's there. There is, in fact, though one house or landmark for example and um, that is currently i think still standing and it was the house that stayed um the whole time um especially after um you know especially after everything really about mobs and there was just one house left that was never burnt down and you know, justice from there on doesn't really qualify $100, does it, for compensation. For the amount of lives that were lost all because a woman lied. So, to put it to put it this way, a white woman lied about being attacked by a black man because she didn't want her husband knowing about the fact that she was having an affair. Which, if I remember this correctly um this kind of takes me back to Emmett Till now if you didn't know who Emmett Till was he was a 14 year old boy and I think he was African-American as well mainly from Chicago and he was brutally murdered um for basically flirting or allegedly allegedly I can't say that for anything but he allegedly was flirting with a white woman four days before his death. Um, And 
you know this was in a shop i think it was and that he was grabbing her and he was you know sexually catcalling her things like that so here the fact that you know it's kind of a little bit like like you know what i mean like it's kind of linked there and it really shouldn't be linked but this um this basically just links to the way that the wife basically lied about it and these mobs were going after someone who you know clearly had to disappear had to change their name or maybe they did die and this maybe a white maybe a white person or anyone really didn't know what they looked like they were just running around out and being in mobs out of anger um and you know they were just randomly killing black people and didn't realize that they actually did kill pardon me actually did kill um the guy that they were looking for which in the end they didn't even find him so you know what was all this for nothing because in the end she lied and she she must have admitted it at one point you know and it's just awful how a person can lie about it you know what i mean just to protect themselves and in the end it just caused a lot of bloodshed so it's it's technically her fault and as well as emmett till if you know emmett till he was brutally murdered um obviously two white men basically murdered him um others were slightly suspected but they had an open casket um or an open coffin um to show what the murderers had actually done to her child and his body was pretty much mutilated badly and when i say badly i mean it was it, it was just basically his face was unrecognizable so he was beaten he was tortured shot in the head and his body was tied with barbed wire from a to a cotton gin fan and thrown into the Tallahatchie river so the people who were arrested and charged with this were roy bryan and his half brother jw miller so obviously i'm not going to go into that too much but it's weird how it just links um and this was in 1995 as well so it's not really like it was a you know a time ahead of that but it's just disgusting honestly and it's kind of like not a pattern but i guess linking and it being common not common nowadays but it was most likely to be common around that time so yeah that this case has got to be one of the most shocking racially like racially i don't even know racially motivated massacres that i've ever even came across like i said i've never even heard about this case before and it's even shocking to me how i've come across it from a documentary that i just randomly listened to and so yeah this is i have no other words for it um i would like to also note though that 
um, I want to outline the fact that the deaths were said to be, and this was the official figure made by the government, six black people and two white people. But it was 27 to 115, some reports, and there were a lot of, um, like, you know, dug up areas where people were just tossed in and places like that. So, of course, there is going to be more. There was not just eight people that were murdered. It was more. There was a lot more bloodshed than that. And that is what that is what's just disgusting. Or because of what a woman said. It's, it's weird how one little comment like that can spark something so big in a community where it's segregated between black and white. You know what I mean? So, this Rosewood massacre... My heart goes out for, you know, people who have had to deal with this type of racism. Especially people in the past, you know, you have to you have to feel sorry for a lot of the people who had to go through this. Emmett Till, um, even the black people aimed at more the black people who were tortured. You know, you know what I mean, and that's all i've really got to say so um if anyone has any suggestions for the next podcast make your way to my instagram dm me it's the morgue with double e's after both words um so t-h-e-e-m-o-r-g-u-e-e that's how it's spelled so yeah um that's my instagram if anyone has any comments on it or anything please let me know um, and I'll be happy to DM you back. So yeah, thank you for listening. I hope you understood most of this. Um, it took a while for me to pretty much get my head around all of these facts and I did shorten it down quite a bit, but you know, this is how it, this is how I decided to come about it. But this is a story that's now been told and I hope that people share it out more. So thank you for listening and I hope you have a good day, a blessed night, a good day people. Bye.